You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. This week, I'm going to tell them about the Denver Spider Man. Denver again! I know, we like to hit up Denver every so often. We like to go visit. It's a nice place, you know. So, okay. We're we're all stuck at home. We know that our house is our safe place. It's your sanctuary. It is not my sanctuary. <laughs> it's well, it's your forced sanctuary right now. The bar would be a more uh fantastic sanctuary for me. Yes, yes. <laughs> that would be that would be nice. Toys are us well, for me. They don't even have those anymore. I know. That's see, your bar is eventually going to open. Toys R Us is not going to open back up for me. Instead, I just go in, I break into the back of it, and cry in the middle of the empty building. <laughs> but what I do in my spare time is none of your business, <laughs> sir. This is a Wendy's. <laughs> so that sanctuary, whether you like being there or not, imagine if someone else was living there with you for months and you had no idea shades that of sounds hint- like a good roommate shades of hinter kaifek yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. except extend that a little longer so philip and helen peters they lived in a bungalow on the north side of denver they bought it in 1899 as newlyweds peters worked at the denver and rio grande western railroad office and the couple always also loved music They were uh, members of the Denver Guitar Club, and they gave both guitar and mandolin lessons there. So that's where they meet this young man. He's he's 17 years old. He's pretty scrawny and sickly. Uh, He plays mandolin, and uh, Mr. Peters invites this young man for dinner and learns more about the boy. So uh, his name is Theodore Edward Coney's. He grew up in Illinois. He was born in 1882. Uh, His parents, at least his father, was a Canadian immigrant. His life's been pretty rough so far. He's been sick pretty much nonstop as he's been growing up uh, with it's just as generalized as heart problems. People are worried about his heart. He's not actually expected to even live to adulthood. Uh, His father died when he was 16. And after that, his mother moved him to Denver. And he didn't graduate high school because of his low life expectancy, but his mother still won't let him get a job because she's worried the stress will be too much for his heart. So Mr. Peters continues inviting this young man to dinner, or he just starts showing up. It's a little unclear. And this went on for a while. Uh, Coney's was pretty bitter, rightfully so, I think, but it was a pretty young age to be, be so hardened against the world. He felt that people stared at him and mocked him, and all he really wanted was a quiet place somewhere far away from all people. Uh, To be fair, to be fair, that is what people normally do. Stare, point, mock, laugh. I've been guilty of it myself. It's it's good to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I've done it too, Scott, really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've we've all, all done it to each other. We've all done it to Scott. I remember one night there was a party and everybody chose me as the man most likely to to waste his life with conspiracy theories. And I agree. (laughs) 
you do like the conspiracy theories more than anybody else who was there. So mm -hmm. it was, I believe, the wasting your life part, no, but the conspiracy theories part was dead on. It was absolutely dead on. The only reason that I didn't get a clean sweep was that I couldn't vote for myself. <laughs> no, that is, yeah, that is fair, but that was the worst game ever. We should never, ever play it again. No, no, no it, it ruins friendships or it has the potential to. People cried. People yeah. were crying by the end of the night. It was glorious. And those people, whenever they cried, we pointed and laughed and mocked. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're coming out of this smelling like roses, guys. We're assholes. <laughs> so, Coney's and the Peters lose touch for a while until they uh, run into each other. It's not really clear when. It's sometime between 1899 and 1912. I can give you that much. And uh, Mr. Peters invites uh, Theodore Coney's over for dinner. Coney's is currently working in advertising. He's taking care of his mother. She had lost all of her property in a scam. And then it's another several years before they see each other, 1912. Uh, at that point, Coney's mother has died and he catches up with Peters, but he doesn't really tell him everything. He doesn't tell him that he's been living rough as a transient. He's been living in flop houses and under bridges. He's just, he's basically has become a drifter. He's a troll. <laughs> Or a if, homeless person? If you're living <laughs> under a bridge, I'm just going to say, it's your job to stop the goats and ask them riddles. <laughs> Down by the river. <laughs> I used so, to, I used to uh, hang out uh, under a bridge in Minneapolis whenever I lived in Minneapolis. And I would talk to the homeless people there. And it was, honest to God, it was some of my favorite people in the entire world. It was my favorite spot in the entire city. It was a bridge just off, just off of this little park called Nicolette Island. And uh, imagine my shock and surprise one day whenever I found out that that bridge had collapsed and killed 40 people. <gasps> oh, wow. No. Remember the, the Minneapolis Bridge collapse? Yeah, that sounds, yes, I do. Yep, that's the one. That made me scared of bridges. I Scott, used to that, that was such a happy story. I used to hang out under that bridge. I wouldn't have even been on top of it. I used to hang out underneath that bridge, and whenever it got dark, I would go over to Nye's Polonaise room and polka my cracker ass off. That part's you... kind of adorable. <laughs> You've got some weird confessions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> You <laughs> knew this going in. <laughs> that is that is the first time I've ever heard anyone use the phrase "poke my ass off." My cracker ass off. But it's beautiful. <laughs> so Coney's, uh, he keeps up his drifting. He doesn't return, or at least that we know of, to Denver until September of 1941. At this point, he's 59. And he comes by his old haunt, the Peters household. Once again, he's looking for any sort of help, a little bit of food, a little bit of money, anything that they'll give him. But the house is empty. It's not that it's been vacated, but no one is home. Helen had broken her hip a few weeks before that, and Philip Peters was up visiting her in the hospital. So Coney's breaks into the house to steal some food. Philip Peters comes home. He's, by the way, 73 now. And he's none the wiser about the break-in and continues to be none the wiser for about five weeks until October 17th when he lays down for a nap. Presumably, I mean, one assumes, awakens to some sort of noise and finds a scrawny, dirty man stealing from his icebox. 
That man, who he may or may not have recognized after 30 years, bludgeons him to death with the first thing at hand, which is a stove shaker. That's a uh, that's an appropriate object to wield. Yeah, I had to look it up because I, I didn't really know, but it's basically, it looks like a crank or a handle, uh, and you, you it's made of iron, and you use it to lift a hot cover off of a stove. They also went by the name Rios. You could use them... Uh... My, my grandfather had one that he used to not only shake his coals out, but then he could also go and use it to start his car. Oh, well. <laughs> a multi-tool. Yeah, yeah. It's the original multi-tool it, if it was made before the Swiss Army knife was invented. It was like a, like a vaguely Z-shaped piece of metal. And uh, it was like a Z, except the, instead of it being like a 45-degree angle for the diagonal, picture like a 90-degree angle on each end. Uh, with a square hole in one side, a handle on the other, and you shook the coals out with it, and then he went and started his old old car uh, just that he had had since before the Second World War. Uh, wow. <laughs> so Coney's had never actually left after the initial break-in. He did not break in once and then come back five weeks later. No, he broke in once and then he stayed there. He found in a closet ceiling a tiny trap door now, this thing, they say, was about the size of three cigar box lids. Not very big. And he's... So, yeah, it was good he was scrawny then, because uh, otherwise he never would have fit. Dude yeah, was right? really hungry. Like, always make sure you eat outside of that, because if you take the food back in there to eat, you may not get back out. Yeah, right? <laughs> He used that to get into this little cubby hole that barely qualifies as an attic, and he had been living there for five weeks. Now I have a quote from him. I pooped in a can. Yeah, that, that happened too, uh, but he didn't mention it here. <laughs> I was in bad shape. My lungs were giving me a lot of trouble, and I was at the end of my rope. Fall was coming on, and I couldn't face another winter on the road. I had to have a place to stay. I didn't know Mrs. Peters was in the hospital. I found the hole in the closet, climbed through, and slept and slept. Whenever I heard him downstairs, I kept real still. All right, so we're, even though what he's doing is creepy and, and horrifying, you still have some sympathy for him even though we, we do know that he killed the guy. But in this moment, in this moment when he's in the house and the five weeks are progressing, this is the moment where your sympathy goes away and the creep fest really ramps it up. So continuing the quote. Then I got bolder and I used to shadow him from room to room. It was sort of a game. It gave me a thrill. It was the first time in my life I'd ever had anyone at my mercy, but I didn't want to hurt him. I watched him take poops. I would line up my poops with his poops so that whenever I pooped, he couldn't smell it. It just smelled like his own poop. He was that's worried. Some, that's some strategizing. <laughs> okay, so Scott, why are you so hung up on the poop? He's the, really hung up on the poop. Because it had to have happened, right? Yes, it absolutely did. Like it so had in to have... five weeks, yes, he would have had to shit. Right. Absolutely. I like to think about the things people don't normally think about because it causes me a great chuckle. And so do you, th do you think he was shitting in the attic or waiting till nighttime and then coming down and shitting? I absolutely think he shit in the attic. You want to know what I think? I think he waited and then probably shit in the trash can. And every morning, like, they'd wake up and be like, why does it smell so bad here? Take that garbage out. Christy, tell so us now, where he shit. Now the game begins and you both have to wait to get the answer. Damn it! 
<laughs> Let's see who wins. Listeners, like, place, do you, pl- place do your you bets. Do you have the answer? Do you have the answer of where he shit? Yes, I have the answer. Oh my god, yes! Okay. Patience. No. Patience, Grasshopper. <laughs> this so, is the weirdest 10 minute mystery ever. What do you, the <laughs> listeners at home, think? <laughs> where do you think he pooed? <laughs> Call in your vote at 1-800-WHERE-DE-POOP. <laughs> so it, it, turns out, it turns out that the day of the murder, Coney's thought that Peters had left when really Peters was napping, and so Peters caught him in the act. Uh, and after that happened and he bludgeoned him, he uh, Coney's washed the shaker, he went back up to the attic, it didn't take too long for people to notice that Peters was uh, was something was wrong because he w- would go to his neighbors for dinner every night uh, while, while Helen was in the hospital. And they'd even give him some leftovers for lunch the next day. This was a really neighborly neighborhood. <laughs> and it's about to get even more neighborly in a horrifying way. Uh, his neighbor comes over to check on him, finds the house all empty and dark. So she grabs some other neighbors. They try to get in. And they find, of course, that one neighborhood girl who's able to jimmy a screen open, and she goes inside, and she finds Peter's body. Yep. Now, yep, it's always a child. I don't know how old she was, but it said girl, so I just assume at least under 18. Well, obviously. She's little. She'll fit through the window. Obviously. Shove her in. You send a child because if it's breaking and entering, it's not a felony. There you go. Now you're thinking on your feet. Okay, so now I can tell you this from being the youngest of six children. Um, there was more than one time that we had managed to lock ourselves out of the home, and the person always shoved through the window was me because I was the smallest. So they yep. would shove me through a bedroom window. I would fall and hurt myself, and then I had to get up and unlock the door for them to come in. So it's, <laughs> it's always what people do. They're like, little ones, they'll bounce back. And I mean, Amber only found seven or eight bodies in her lifetime. I wish. I, I <laughs> No, like, I know that sounds sick, but I really, at some point in my lifetime, want to poke a body with a stick. Now, I thought you found a few bodies on the road outside. Well, yes. Okay, so I have seen dead people. I was not allowed to poke it with a stick. Damn it. Where is she wants to be the first on the scene so she can get that stick poking action in. Amber grew yep. up on a really dangerous corner, and motorcycle riders are braver than they should be. Yes. So we had a very steep drop-off on a blind corner, and um, people would catch the gravel all the time because my driveway was gravel, and so like the edge of the road was all gravel. And they would catch the gravel and then go into my parents' yard. And so on more than one occasion, we found um, people that didn't make the turn, we'll say. I just picture your dad going out there like early in the morning, like picking up the newspaper, kind of cracking his back, looking down, finding a bloodied body with a motorcycle helmet or even one without. I mean, it is Johnstown and <laughs> just going, God damn it. Another one. <laughs> yeah. But like we I like the drunk drivers. We had a lot of drunk drivers, too, but they would usually make it down the hill in their pickup truck and then they'd have to come back and get all the beer cans that they had dropped in our yard to like hide the evidence. <laughs> My God, we live in a wonderful place. Hillbilly town. I love it. (laughs) So circling back around, uh, the police are called and uh, 
Peters is a bloody mess. He had been beaten long past death. There were over a dozen wounds in his skull and nothing was stolen. And even more mysteriously, the front door was locked with a key and the chain was up. So exactly was it a ghost uh they do find the two cast iron shakers they note that one is dusty and one isn't and has been recently cleaned and they also find a bloody towel they do actually find the trap door but they immediately look at it and they're like no nobody could get up there that's no we're, we're not gonna bother so they have no way of tracking the killer who's literally right above their heads and the case goes unsolved. The house is empty for a little while. Helen is now widowed and she's still in the hospital. Every once in a while, kids will go past and they'll see a face in the window or a light somewhere in the house. And the house does start to get a little reputation for being a little bit haunted. Helen- A, a little bit haunted is like a little bit pregnant. It either is or it isn't. Yeah, right? <laughs> Helen is recovering, and she does come home in early 1942, but she falls and she fractures her thigh, and after that, she needs a nurse to help her at home. So this nurse hears noises and rattling, and finally, at one point, she's on the back stairs, and she sees what she calls a spook and says it chattered its teeth at her. Oh, and she fuck. hands in her to second notice right there <laughs> that's a good move that's a good move remember the maid in hinter kaifak who went i ain't i ain't deal with no goddamn ghost she lived yeah, yeah. I'm, start, I'm starting to feel like maids and nurses are like where it's at for the smart ladies mm-hmm mm-hmm so they don't hire a new nurse they hire a neighbor <laughs> Or oh, a neighbor no. volunteers. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just letting you know now. Okay. <laughs> but they do start to notice things are going missing. Things are out of place. They all that that neighbor also hears noises, and then she runs into a ghost on the stairs. This filthy, emaciated thing, and it just disappeared when she screamed as she told the cops, and they were like, "Okay, crazy lady." It shouted, "Where's my poop can?" and disappeared <laughs> into the night. They say the spirits. They say the spirits are here to do unfinished business. And apparently he still had to take a poo before he died. But, like, I'm confused. Was he on meth? Like, or are no. we just deteriorating as, like, a, a human? Uh, we've, we've gone nuts sitting in quarantine. This guy's living in something smaller than a fucking jail cell. And his door is the size of three cigar boxes. He's fucking lost it. And he can only get food when somebody's not around. You have an, a woman recovering from an injury there. She's not going to be leaving that often. And he probably is like, I'm not really psyched about the idea of killing again while rummaging through the icebox. But I'll do it. <laughs> he probably only like leaves when he finds a chance or when he gets absolutely desperate. That's when he leaves his, his horrible cubbyhole. So, Name uh, of my Helen punk band, Horrible Cubbyhole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Helen goes off to live with her son in Grand Junction, but the cops do actually keep an eye on the place. They get the feeling that something really isn't quite right, despite, you know, probably wanting to rationally dismiss this. So on July 30th, 1942, if I will have you remember, this started September 1941. The cops are hanging out. They're keeping an eye on the place and they see a face in the window. So they break down the door 
And at first they don't find anything but darkness and a horrible smell. Backup arrives as the first two cops are heading up the stairs. They see the closet door shutting. So they rush over, they open it, and they find bare feet dangling from the ceiling. Must have been kind of surreal, I would imagine. Oh, fuck. (laughs) One of them does manage to pull the man down. He is 75 pounds and 5 foot 10. He faints when they get him down, and he's absolutely filthy. And another note to add to the the weight loss and emaciation and and, and losing of the, the mind and everything. Also keep in mind, he's in a tiny little attic space. And I don't know, I don't have actual dates for when uh, Helen was there and when she left. But if any part of that was even the beginning of summer, it's hot up there. He lost a lot of that weight just through perspiration the good news is at 75 pounds and five foot ten you have yourself a burgeoning career getting people's keys out of sewer grates just by having another person (laughs) dangle you down between the bars right (laughs) (laughs) so they have uh denver's smallest officer fred zarno they said i want to see a comic book called that (laughs) Denver's smallest <laughs> officer and Denver's drunkest state policeman. Uh, they're teaming up and fighting crime. So he is sent up and he immediately vomits. Coney's had collected his waste. Yes! <laughs> Scott is cheering for collected feces. Yes. Did he have a can? I need to know. Well, I would imagine it would either have to be a can or something. There had to be some sort of container. Um, all we, everybody was really delicate about it. The, I only saw it mentioned in one article, and they just said collected his waste. So. I like to think the well, smallest okay. cop came down and went, he's dried it and sculpted himself a girlfriend. Oh. Like, he could have. Because, okay, so this is what I'm thinking about. How was he pooping up there? Like, was there enough room to squat? Or was he shitting while laying down? Because that seems like it would be difficult. He might have been able to sit, maybe. The room was four foot by eight foot. It doesn't really say how tall it was, but it wasn't very tall. Um, unless they were saying four foot was the height. I don't know. But it was it was really not much bigger than a coffin. I mean, like, like Scott said, smaller, way smaller than a jail cell. Way smaller. I really want to know how he pooped now. Yeah, you can go ahead and and keep on thinking about that, and I'm going to continue on. Okay. Uh, We don't know. As far as we know, he hadn't bathed once during that entire 10 months. There was an ironing board he had had stolen from the the house that he used as a bed. He had a salvaged toaster he used for warmth and a few scraps of blanket. And keep in mind that year in January, it it got down to below zero. And that was during the time that Helen wasn't there. So the house wouldn't have been heated unless he did something about it. Imagine trying to warm your hands over a fucking toaster. Yeah. I've done it. (laughs) So uh, Coney, we actually have a quote from him about the conditions up there. It was miserable hot in the summer and my feet froze in the dead of winter in that attic, but it was all part of the price I was willing to pay. I can't tell you why I stuck it out. I guess it was mostly because it was a world all my own. I used to go down and look out the windows and watch the postmen come by. Nobody's written to me in 25 years. Whenever I saw people on the street, I hated them and would go back to my attic. A whole new world, a 
It's not a Disney movie. It's not <laughs> a world. You're living in a fucking broom closet. Right? Not, not even yeah. that big. Yeah. <laughs> like, people would open the door and go, we can't put a broom in there. That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Dustpan at best. Officer Zarnow agrees with you. He said a man would have to be a spider to stand it long up there. And that is how he became the Denver Spider-Man. The press was like, oh, really? That's going to be the headline on every newspaper for like a month. <laughs> so he is found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Uh, he goes into prison on November 18th, 1942. He eventually works as a prison librarian for some time. And this man, who was bitter because people would point and mock at him because he was... Uh, so skinny and scrawny and because he was sickly and wasn't supposed to make it to adulthood died in the prison hospital on may 16th 1967 at age 84 they had to make a special cell for him because you know he just slipped through the bars the regular ones <laughs> <laughs> he did put weight back on when he was interviewed at one point he was 137 so he did manage to even with prison food put some weight back on and uh, when asked about the Spider-Man name, he said that he likes spiders. Uh, and to elaborate on that, he said, they're friendly. People are cruel. Damn. We're cruel. Get... We, I've been sitting here making fun of him. <laughs> we have. <laughs> yes, we have. Granted, he also killed a guy. Uh, so there's some cruelty there. And the, the guy that he killed, think about that, didn't even... You know, made it to 73, and Coney's made it to 84. <laughs> How is that fair? You're right. Go ahead. Point and laugh at people who deserve it, everyone. I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> I'm okay, part well, of that's the, not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm part of the solution. Yes, you are. So uh, that is the Denver Spider-Man. Uh, I'm going to give my sources. They are Murderpedia, uh, the Denver Public Library. The author's name is just Caroline. Uh, and the Madeira Tribune, shout out to the California Digital Newspaper Collection. I have been using that more and more to find uh, some original sources on cases, and it's been very helpful. So, yeah, that is Theodore e Edward Coney's The Denver Spider-Man. So, everybody, um, check your attic. I'm in the attic right now. Does that mean I'm a bad person? Look around. <laughs> I see two cats. Okay, then you're not the bad person. <laughs> right. All right. I win again. Um, all right. That is it for us for this old tiny crimey. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you in the full length episode, which I have a feeling is going to be full length uh, later this week. Bye. Bye. I need to go take a massive can. <laughs> <laughs>